the Doctor Who Flashcast. I am Jason Snell, and I am joined this week to talk about Episode 5, the Saranga Conundrum. It's from the Verity Podcast, Liz Miles. Hello. Hello. And a happy evening to you. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be talking about Doctor Who before midnight. Yes, listeners to the Verity Podcast certainly know that when Liz is on during this season, she's on in the middle of the night. And uh, the Doctor Who Flashcast, although based in California, does not require that level of commitment. So uh, a decent hour for you, at least. Not yep. too indecent. Uh, to talk about this wonderful episode. So uh, I just gave it away. I, I like this. This was my favorite episode of the whole year, I think. Um, I'm going to say it's mine as well, but in fairness, I've said that after every single episode of the season so far. It is hard so to keep perspective when you've just seen yeah. it. Yeah, I'm I'm really bad at being critical about a Doctor Who thing for like months after it's just on. I mean, if you recall the last time I was on this, it was Sleep No More, and I was pretty positive mm. about what's not very good. I, I think so, it felt like we were we were struggling to find positivity in Sleep No More. Yes. But yeah, the, but I, I tried. I did not struggle with this. I, I enjoyed it. I actually um, checked to see how long, how far in we were. And it was about 15 minutes in. And I said, well, I, and I did that not because I was bored, but because I, I was enjoying it so thoroughly that I, I, I was like, how, how far have we gone in this that I just am loving every single thing that I'm seeing on the screen, which doesn't happen that often with anything that I watch. So uh, I, I'm very happy with uh, with with this. Um, I, I, I mean, we can touch. So one of the funny things about this is that the way it's structured after the first scene, um, mm-hmm. and maybe part of the second scene, basically everything gets, um, exploded into different little bits that are happening. This is a very fast paced episode with a bunch of things going on, which I think is maybe the thing that impresses me the most about the whole episode is it is, uh, it, it is fast paced, has a lot of different plot threads going on at once, and I don't think it loses its its uh, its way or its the the um, speed the the you know the movement through the different storylines. I don't think I ever felt it it lagging. I I feel like it it managed to do something that's very hard to do, which is keep all of those um, all those plots b- the balls in the air, if you will. Yeah, no, it it was um it's it's like it's a classic Doctor Who base under siege kind of thing and often the problem with base under siege is, is that there are some characters that you either don't care about or just don't have any feel for. They're they're just there to be cannon fodder for whatever the threat is. And here that definitely wasn't the case. Every one of the people on board, even poor what's his name who got zapped out the airlock had a proper character. They had very nice character acts through the episode and I absolutely loved how all of them interacted with Whitaker. I thought she had great scenes with all the guest stars Mm -hmm. and I really appreciated the sort of the chemistry and the camaraderie and the yeah, the just, the just way that she's slightly different ways that she worked with all of them. It's yeah, very cool. And there's no point where they split up and then they don't interact. The, the characters also are all crossing over with each other They're in a very confined space. They've got mm-hmm. a few different rooms and they all have different tasks, but they're all kind of bouncing off of each other in different ways at different points in the episode. And so you do get the doctor getting to talk to each of them and send them all on their paths. I do feel bad. You're right. Um, Astos is the guy who who dies in the in the pod because it's not good enough that the pod be jettisoned; it must also explode. <laughs> I guess. I, well, I, I, 
I like explosions, so I was okay with that. Yeah, I felt bad for him, but it, it's okay. He wouldn't have been in the rest of the episode anyway because he, he he got jettisoned. But I, what I was impressed by with that character is that he is firmly established by the time they kill him, which is which yeah. is puts him one rung up from just being cannon fodder who we don't care about except to say a person died. Like he is responsible and caring and gives and and really gives it to the doctor right and says you're acting irresponsibly. I'm yeah. you know you need to listen to me. And then she has that moment where she's like, oh, you're right. You're right. You got me, which I really like. So he gets some great stuff before he is very quickly jettisoned and exploded. Yeah, absolutely. Feels feels like he set up to be her main uh, assistant on board in that one, which was why I I was like, you know, I had a little bit of surprise when I was like, oh, yeah, you're going to die in five seconds. Um, And yet we all spent all that time establishing like who you are and getting a really good rapport with the doctor there Mm -hmm. in that scene where the threat comes on board. And I I feel like the direction there is really good and really tense and really, oh, what is it? And um the the favorite thing about him there was yeah that scene you mentioned where he confronts her because she's being really selfish about the TARDIS and I just loved that because I thought it was so so heartnell that he would be really freaked out about losing his ship and just thinking about all getting it back and completely ignoring everyone else on board and that he had kind of had Barbara's role there about saying no actually you're being incredibly selfish and then him having and her having here that moment of realization of oh so I am I'm not this bad a person <laughs> so and getting over so I really love that. Yeah, there are other patients on this ship who need to get back to where we're going. If we turn around and, and you know, we, we know by the end of the episode, we know that there is somebody who's about to give birth. And then there's somebody who has got a horrible heart problem who is near death um, and they need to get back. And then that's the moment where she's, she says, OK, you're right. I, I don't want to stand in the way of that, even though I really just want to get back. And then they find out that they've been out for four days. So they're way they're not close to being able to go back there. Yeah. Uh, uh, the yeah, I loved I love that. I mean, I, I have I've even though I have had some issues with some of the plots, especially of the early episodes this season, I have never had a problem with the performances, the casting, the character development of this season mm. has been spectacular. And that continues in this episode, which I loved more because the plot uh, and the movement, the action worked for me. But, um, you know, Jodie Whittaker has been great. She is she is absolutely the doctor in this episode she gets to explain what she's a doctor of and we learn that she's a doctor of medicine science engineering candy floss lego (laughs) philosophy music problems people and hope especially she's totally making some of that up but i did get a thrill when she called herself a doctor of science because uh i'm going to be making classic references throughout this podcast because that's one of the things i really miss from the very early doctors that they called themselves oh i'm a scientist and Mm -hmm. uh, that's not something that's ever really happened with new who they've just been oh this brilliant person so her saying the 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 first two things after medical doctor she got her degree uh, in glasgow under lister uh that would be second Dr. Cannon, mm-hmm. educational podcast. Um, the, the, the next two things she said were science and engineering. And I was like, yes, that's who you are. Call yourself a scientist now. Yeah. And, um, and our yes, friend Stephen Schapansky is thrilled that she's also a doctor of Lego, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> whatever. I was I was like, fine, be cutesy about it with your candy floss at Lego. I care about the serious well, stuff that's, here. She's, she's, uh, that was the moment where she's she can't remember what all of her 
uh, all of her credits are. So she just throws in candy floss and Lego before moving on to philosophy yeah, at, and ultimately hope. At least it wasn't Jelly Babies. I'd have rolled my eyes at Jelly Babies. Yeah, or Jamie Dodgers, quite frankly. We don't need oh, that. Oh, no, I wouldn't have rolled my They're my favorite biscuit, so mm. that would be fine. Uh, we're not, they'd, they'd be okay. We're not here to debate Jamie Dodgers. Um, <laughs> I, pr- I think I might prefer Jelly Babies to Jamie Dodgers, and that's not... Uh, well, yeah, but Jelly Babies aren't a biscuit. Yeah, that's so. true. Also, I, I would love to see what uh, what thesis... Uh, you know, the dissertation was done for a PhD in Jelly Babies. But um, the I wanted to mention, I want to talk about the first scene because the first scene I really loved. The the one scene that is not in our white, gleaming white spaceship is the scene in the junkyard where I think, especially for Doctor Who, but I think actually just without that, uh, just to say it more broadly, a very impressive opening scene where there is a huge alien junkyard planet kind of thing that we see and we the camera is moving and we see all of our various friends perched on various parts of it uh, with their metal detectors basically searching for whatever they're searching for. And I thought not only was that fun in that it established that this is what happens when we're not watching episodes of Doctor Who is they're off digging through junkyards or going to <laughs> she said she said at one point I took you to those those waterfalls or whatever like they're th- th- that's the stuff that they're doing when it's not an episode. And I thought it also looked really great. They did a very good job and uh, it didn't feel at all like to me anyway like a you know struggling to mat people into various parts of a matte painting i thought it was very um very cool and very well done for a thing that we you know it is really just there to set up the premise and in a different season of doctor who might have happened before the opening credits yeah no i, I love those little bits the um where, where we get the uh impression or or not impression the we're told about you know they, they do have times when they're not running from death defying danger there right. are there are little bits of fun uh, in amongst this where they're just exploring stuff though that was one of my frustrations with the episode was i really wonder what were they looking for you know why, why don't you tell me what they're looking for she doesn't even say she just says that one of these and holds up a thing yeah. Yeah. and it's like what what is it explain this to me mm. you got you've got plenty of technobabble in the rest of the episode you could put that in or you could put something interesting in but it really bugged me yeah, yeah, I was wondering what they were looking for because she doesn't say like we need this to fix the TARDIS or something like that. She just says, I mean, for all we know, she's just looking for it because she's curious or because she ran out of her last one and just, you know, needs another one for her collection or we don't we don't know why they're looking for it. Although, I will say that um that does you know, it's not all going to the waterfalls, right? This is the this scene also says sometimes you get to go to the waterfalls, sometimes you go to the junkyard and are handed a metal detector and have to climb garbage. That's part of yeah, your job. But it's, it's an alien junkyard. It's space junkyard. So it's fun. Yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah, you don't, you don't I'm not know what sure. You're find it there. I'm not sure Graham finds it fun, but that's okay. You could find anything out yeah, there. It's so exciting. What what do aliens have for junk mm. or far future humans have for junk? Those amazing discoveries that you will make yeah, that's in right. future archaeology. Mm-hmm. Because lots of archaeology takes place at rubbish tips that yeah. are buried under the ground. Yeah. So space space junkyard with a mysterious item that they're looking for that we never learn about. Fair enough. Um so on the on the ship we have uh there are so many characters. We mentioned Astos, who is the 
the early death. Um, we meet um, General Eve Cicero, who is a legendary general who the doctor recognizes by name and says that she has a chapter in the book of celebrants or that she's in the book of celebrants to which uh, Eve Cicero says, well, the doctor has a has a chapter. And as she's leaving, Jodie Whittaker says, it's actually a volume. <laughs> but who's counting? And then she leaves, which is great. But it's, yeah. it, I, I like it when the doctor kn- recognizes somebody who's from the future and we have uh, just made up for this episode from history and knows their great accomplishment and is sort of impressed by them and and that's what we get here with with eve cicero and her brother is there and also a, a an android like who's her bodyguard and that we meet them and then they, they have a a series of storylines and kind of, kind of different parts because it does turn out that she's hiding a disease that is uh that is going to kill her and that pre- re- prevents her from doing basically what she's great at which is being a general and and uh, and piloting ships and things like that and uh i i i you know her brother she and her brother have sort of a sibling rivalry and 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 then they come to understand each other and he sort of has to finish what she starts when she uh saves them by flying the ship but she can't make it all the way because of her pilot's heart condition and she dies and he he expresses her his love for her and his pride in her and it's all it's a really nice sort of again in 50 minutes a very nice uh introduction to these characters and then kind of we learn about them and they're important to the plot but they also have their own little character arc that they go through before the end um you and i know you were saying on twitter uh, before we started mm. that you love the general yes yeah no every, everything about her is just fantastic i i think this great character name as well eve cicero, eve cicero. that really really you know yeah that sums up Gouvenge. but she's like this character catnip as i said on the twitters for me that i i um uh, ambitious, incredibly competent, hugely overachieving uh, general who's a woman in the future. So she has spaceships that she's shooting stuff at. That's that's just I want that in all my science fiction. Hmm. You can just dump that in any sci-fi, and I will be extremely happy. And again, I just love the way she interacted with uh, with the Doctor when they decide they're going to do this thing, and she's instantly on board, and she instantly has authority. Mm-hmm. But and so does the Doctor, but. It's not competing authority. They're working together, but it doesn't mean that either of them is is reduced in, in that way. They both are leaders and it's not, yeah, it's, it's not a competition between them as to who's the most leadery, which could so easily be done. And uh, it would have been, to me, a very cheap way to have some character tension there because, hey, it's two women who want to be in charge. Let's have them fight with each other. But that isn't what happened at all. And I really enjoyed that. And I just, uh, I, I liked her character arc. I liked that she got, I like that thing where you get hooked into ships and zap things a bit that's fun and that she made her heroic sacrifice Mm -hmm. which hey someone else had to die and um and yeah and that's after some fridging earlier in the season i think this is a great example of something that's not a fridging because yes her brother is very upset at her death but that isn't a motivation for any of his actions because it's just a funeral and also that was the conclusion of her character act it's mostly about her and her character because that's a you know that's classic way for old war horse to go out with one final sacrifice Mm -hmm. kind of thing and um yeah so it was all about her uh angelina was played by susan packer who is very very well known in the uk because she was a regular in casualty which is our version of er without a budget um for like over 10 years and she did about five hundred thousand episodes of it so uh here she was playing a very different sort of character which is nice i think the um 
I'm not sure whether it's said in dialogue or not, but there's definitely the implication that this disease that she's got prevents her from being the person she wants to be and doing the things that she's famous for. And that she has these regrets, like, in order to stay alive, she can't do the things she's good at. And in this moment, she sort of, even though she doesn't want to die, she embraces the fact that if she is going to do this, it's going to be to save everybody. And then she is going to die a hero doing the thing that she's good at, even though that's not necessarily what she would would choose in the moment it at least it's uh you know she's not dying um for she's dying for a purpose she's dying to to save people and do the thing that she's great at yeah that's that's one of the things i really love that she has she hasn't got a death wish but she's very aware of her own legend and her own story and how Mm -hmm. she looks to other people and she really cares about that and i think uh, as she stated it she partially cares about it because she inspires other people but i also think there's there's um ego there too which of course there would be in a woman who's um you know that that ambitious and competent and just comfortable with um with her her incredibly powerful job um so i Knowing that she, she did it partly for that, I just I think that's great as well. That's really nice. I, re, I just really think she was the best character in the episode for me, and I loved everything that she got to do. She's uh, famous in the Book of Celebrants, and I, I had that moment where I thought, um, in a David Tennant episode, we would be he would know how she dies and would be like, oh. I'm so so sorry. We're here. This is the moment where you die, and I and I, you know, Jodie Whittaker shows no sign of that. She's like, oh, you're a famous person from history. That's awesome. And I thought, I kind of, I kind of believe that more because I feel like with most historical figures, unless they die in a famous, you know, dramatic way, um, if you're the doctor, everybody she knows throughout all history. They obviously they die in if they're in a textbook somewhere they're in there with their birth and their death. But what she doesn't she doesn't necessarily know. Oh well, General Eve Cicero died saving some people on a hospital ship, and she doesn't know. You don't know that. You know about all of her famous victories. You don't know. It's not famous. Like how she died is not the famous part of her. It's 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 her other parts of how she lived. And so um, we just didn't get any of that. Which I, I I thought about like another way to do this, which would have been like ah oh, I knew that she died saving people, but I didn't no it was this but no it's just no no that's not relevant to this which i think is i think is fine um yeah i'd yeah. have i'd have been vaguely annoyed at that message. right right it's just like but but i mean with a time travel story you could do that but i'm just glad that it, it, it felt really reasonable to me that um you know this is not what she, her death is not what she's famous for and so um the doctor was impressed by her other achievements i also um speaking of things paths not taken when we meet her i feel like we're set up for a uh for her and her um bodyguard guy android guy to be the um the actual villains like they're going to be put under pressure by this alien that's Mm. that's that's threatening them but but that often in doctor who but in television in general you have that like a famous rich or you know bureaucratically uh, powerful person with a you know a retinue of people around them and they're concealing something and it's going to end up being that through the concealment through the stealing of the of the suppressors which the guy badgers uh the the uh second tech uh, into uh, going and getting the um, the the those uh, adrenaline suppressors um, that that's going to be something that their selfish action therefore uh, tr- dooms everybody or makes the situation worse or all that and none of that ever happens none which yeah. I, I I enjoyed that it, it that's not the story that it's even trying to tell they're not impediments to your point earlier um, when prompted to give her. Uh, 
her strategic background her her brilliance and and lend that to what the doctor is trying to do she immediately jumps in like yes let's do this i know how to do this i can i can help here and she lends her expertise at no point is she really an impediment and i like that about it too because at the, in the first moments it felt like oh i i see where this is going and it just she was not that wasn't the story they were telling the, the the android guy wasn't a problem the brother wasn't a problem she wasn't a problem they had issues personal issues but that wasn't what the story was going to do yeah i kind of yeah i do i do enjoy that where there is there you know there's uh, there is interpersonal stuff going on there but these people do not hate each other they're not fighting with each other instead of the outside threat which you know if that was happening in every base under siege story it, it would get kind of dull but actually that's the opposite of what normally happens um is especially i feel in doctor who ones they aren't hugely fighting amongst themselves they just have issues but seeing you know seeing people cooperate is doesn't mean it's uh, doesn't have dramatic tension right. or you can't say things with it and uh, just to have that contrast with with the normal situations i, I really really like that and um I think New Who, especially early on, had a tiny bit of problem with women in authority and sort of undercutting them um, or toppling them over uh, quite a lot of the time. And so, you know, it's it's very, very pleasant here to see that we have a heroic general who we're not suddenly told, oh, but she's actually this terrible person or we need to destroy her legend because of some awful act or such like. So that was nice. Um, so our, our villain is the Pating, <laughs> which is, uh, early on an, another way that this episode, I think, leads us down a path and then turns it and, t- and turns on us and, and realizes that it's not, we realize it's not quite what we were led to believe is the, uh, the Pating where we, there's, there's something has gotten through the shields. It's, uh, you know, we've seen this movie before. Uh, we know how it's going to go. This is where we, you know, they check the pods and this is where we lose our friend Astos. Um, but uh, when the Ting is revealed, it is revealed to be <laughs> a little kind of adorable little pest that is going to eat them, eat their ship until they can't live anymore. It's definitely yeah. a threat. But it, at no point is it, I mean, it's, again, you're like, this is alien. It's going to be like alien. It's like, no, it's like uh, Nibbler from Futurama. He just eats things. It's fine. <laughs> Nibbler's kind of like Alien in certain circumstances. I True. think it is like Alien. It's the soft, cozy version of Alien that you can show to your eight-year-old child without freaking them out. Well, Unlike I, Last Christmas, which I think was maybe a little bit mm, scary for the eight to six-year-olds. Well, imagine Alien one, where the alien isn't trying to kill you, but it may kill you while it's doing whatever it's doing. Accident. It's like, well, yeah, it's a it's a kind of it's a very slow alien. Instead of going after <laughs> you directly, it's like giving you extra time. It's alien on easy mode. And All just right. to add to that, it's it, you don't look at it and think, oh, I'm terrified. You look at it and think, oh, I want to give you a hug, but you'll but, kill me but with your, your skin. But your skin is poisonous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's ador- it's adorable. And it just wants to eat. And there's that moment where it just kind of wolfs down a giant piece of something. And you're like, <gasps> okay, uh, this is what's happening. And of course, at this point, <laughs> we are in, in the plot. We've gotten to the point, uh, Chris Chibnall has navigated us to the point where we know that they can't get off the ship. And they're, they're in space somewhere going, and until they get to their destination, if the thing eats the ship from around them they will end up dead and so that's the by the time we meet it we know the stakes here which is it doesn't matter that 
it's kind of adorable and it doesn't actually they learn it doesn't kill people it doesn't try it doesn't eat people anyway but um that is it doesn't matter it is still a, an existential threat who is going to you know lurk around every corner unless they can stop it but but adorable yes and um yeah, no, I just, I, I, God, I loved it. It was so cute because there was, there was, um, it is setting up expectations and undercutting them there because, mm-hmm. of course, I thought it was going to turn out to be something slightly monstrous. And the, I'd love the direction of the reveal because it was so slow and you're like, oh, okay, okay, what's it going to look like? And it turns out, oh, you're this tiny little cute bubble of joy. <laughs> and I, I thought the reveal is great. And um, I also thought that because it was such a cute and adorable little monster and wasn't actually, you know, killing people, that we might have it be, oh, it's misunderstood. Oh, the poor little thing, it just needed to be fed and that. But no, we didn't have that. We just have, this is a really pesty little monster mm-hmm. and we got to get rid of it. Yeah. But even so, we still got that gorgeous moment when it eats the bomb and its little tummy glows yes. and then it smiles so happily mm-hmm. and it's just so content and you're just like, oh, I'm glad we try sort of blew up on the inside, but it was okay because that's what it does. And oh, I just, the glowing was perfect. And it, it I gets, don't expect the glowing. It gets ejected into space and it's basically like, it, we already know it'll be fine and it's happy and it's <laughs> Bed and everybody like it's it's good it's all good it's fine it, yeah, it, I think, it got what it wanted <laughs> i think it could be kind of like used really well for clearing minefields of a certain mm. sci-fi type when you think you know there's there's bombs here you my little friend must go detect the bombs and, and eat them up that may be the source so, um, of the pating or maybe where it's ultimately going to be used as sort of like goats where you rent some goats and take them to a field and they clear the field and then they load the goats back in and they take them somewhere else you could just have a bunch of pating and you just take them to the space yeah, minefield you, and let them you go you don't even have to bother deactivating the mine it just it just eats, eats them the mind. So uh, it's handier. And plus, the dudes uh, somewhere were talking about how about the sonic mine thing that they needed to do more clearing of that stuff. So uh, you yeah. know, now you've got a little dude who can couldn't help out because it has an energy signal or something because uh, Graham detected right. it. So they're obviously giving off energy. So it's like per- perfect solution. They can yeah. all live in happy harmony. It's fantastic. Until the bombs run out, yeah, then you've got problems. Then, then, then you've got a lot of pating, and they're still hungry. Yeah, it's possible. The um, the so w- another plot that happens here on this medical ship on the love boat uh, is the uh, pregnant man who is uh, he's a man who is pregnant with a with a a boy because. Um, that's how it works in the 60 whatever century. How does it work where you are? Um, and he, and, and, but men are only pregnant for three days and he's overdue. And so we end up with, uh, there are some funny, lots of funny bits with, uh, with Ryan and Graham who are called on to be his doulas because although the, uh, the med tech is going to be there, he wants some men in the room with him he wants wants some uh, some guys with him when he he is giving birth and uh so there are jokes there about the call the midwife and how he graham doesn't actually watch the the messy bits of call the midwife and um <laughs> but the most important part about this storyline is that it is the continuing you know in this episode we learn uh in a scene earlier with with yaz and and ryan he tells about his mother and his mother and, and father and his relationship with his father, which is bad and he hasn't seen him in a year, and how his mother died and how he was there and found her. She just died of a heart attack at the sink in the in the in the house. And that the the impression I get from that is that um 
you know, it's it's a complicated situation where after his mother's death, his father basically left him with his grand his grandmother and and took off, and things have been really awkward since then. And then we follow that up with Ryan encouraging this guy who is going to give up the baby because he feels like he's not qualified and he's not ready and he's too young. That gives Ryan perspective because he realizes that he was born when his dad was this age, which is also his age, and that gives him a perspective on on his father. And he actually also talks to the guy and says that the the guy could be a great dad. So we get a lot of dad stuff here, but it's mostly in service to Ryan and the ongoing story of sort of Ryan realizing um, more about his relationship with his father. So obviously this is going somewhere, but but um, how'd you feel about the, the pregnant man story? Um, well, I was comparing it to the last time I saw a pregnant man story on the television, which was a Star Trek Enterprise uh, yeah. mm-hmm. unexpected where Trip the engineer gets pregnant which is it's um it's an episode that could definitely have been worse than it was mm. is uh, i think a generous way to refer to it um and they sort of tried there not to make it a complete joke whereas the time before that would have been lister and red dwarf or okay you're in a comedy so it's obviously put for laughs but those are the, those are the two times i can recall offhand and um yeah i didn't mind it it was fine and it wasn't the sort of humor was that the I mean these guys are from the twenty first century. They're going to find it odd and maybe a bit funny, but they don't do it in a. It isn't. It never feels cruel or or anything like that. They get on board with it fairly quickly and they provide emotional support and they really actually care. And they, mm-hmm. they, they you know, it's, it's the fact that they they quickly get over their like this is a bit weird and um and, and are doing some some good there uh, that are. That's what I like about it. I didn't think it was terrible, even though it's very much the sort of thing that if you told me about it before the episode, I'd have been like, oh, really? That's not going to go well. But yeah, it was, it was okay. It's, it was, it, it was fine. It's I'm, comic relief with the, with the added character level of um, Graham and Ryan a little bit, but mostly about Ryan and his relationship with his father, who we haven't seen yet. And that, that seems to be going somewhere where there's going to be some kind of an understanding or a reconciliation that yeah. happens later on. Yeah, which I'm really, really not interested. Sorry, Ryan's father, but I really don't care about you. Well, and I, I hope we never meet you. I think what, I think what must be happening here is that this is all wrapped together, right? There's a story of Ryan and his father and of Graham and of Ryan's grandmother. And that is leading, that all together is leading somewhere. And, you know, I've seen people speculate, if if this was Stephen Moffat, it would very clearly be going to some sort of time travel, meet the grandmother, save her, sacrifice yourself, learn something about it, go back to the past and meet Ryan's mother, something, right? I'm not entirely sure that Chris Chibnall's going to do that. I, I think he might, he seems very much like uh, part of his charter in taking the show over from Stephen Moffat seems to be, let's do some more straightforward storytelling <laughs> and not yeah. double back on ourselves and make time travel the point of the plot. Yeah, that definitely feels... Uh it fits in with the the more the very comfortable viewing experience that that I'm finding it to be. I, I think just my problem there is it's not what I'm particularly interested in. I'm much more interested in Yasmin and yeah. wherever they choose to take her story. And um, I'm sorry, I just don't. I just it doesn't. It doesn't. I, I don't. Oh God, I feel terrible. But I just it doesn't connect with me. That's fine. It connects with other people. I don't think they're doing it badly. So it's just it's just yeah. not. 
for me. Um, and oh yeah, that was the other thing about that that stuff. The pregnant guy. There, there, yeah, there's humor in it, but it's not humor. Oh look, a guy is pregnant here. Right. It's um, it's like it's Graham who's the kind of butt of the joke there when he's talking about um, the midwife and his squeamishness. So it's it's yeah, it's it's not that the guy uh, who's freaking out about uh, the delivery being going a bit wrong that we're meant to be lolling at right. here, um, which is you know. That's good. Progress. So Progress about, since 20 years ago. About Ryan, I actually agree with you. I I care about Ryan and his relationship with his father, sort of what I said earlier, only so much as that I I am interested in Ryan's relationship with Graham. Graham tries to get the fist bump from him and he, he turns him down. That relationship between those two, that they're connected and yet they're, there is something that sets them apart even now. I'm much more interested in that than I am with Ryan reconciling with his father, who we've never met, who's been mentioned in all of these different episodes. And, uh, you know, I'm much more interested in that. And also, I'm interested in the idea that both of them are grieving for the death of Ryan's grandmother. Um, mm. That that also I find more interesting than, again, Ryan having a bad relationship with his dad. So I assume that there's going to be something there that's bigger that pays that off. And it's not just that we continue to have scenes where Ryan grows and learns to accept his father. Um, but uh, oh, please yeah, no. right. Yeah. So that's so for me. Yeah, that's the only thing. It's obviously happening. So it's hard not to uh, you can't ignore it, but it doesn't on its own. It doesn't matter to me. Yeah. 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 I I mean, those scenes could have been spent, you know, talking about or dealing with other relationships. Well, he does have that scene with Yaz. And but I care much more about his relationship with, with, with Yaz than a character that's not even there. Yeah. You know, that's that's what I'd like some more time on. Um, and Yaz also, I feel like, again, she doesn't get enough screen time in this episode. Definitely what not. she does get, I really love that her and the Doctor teaming together and the, the way, the vibe they have between them. I think it's great. I thought last week it was a little bit shippy. Um, oh, for not sure. So much, not so much, well, a little bit this week, because I absolutely adored the way that when there was the little cutesy thing threatening there, that the Doctor was bodily protecting Yaz from anything that might try to hurt her. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, it's so sweet. But I really just love their companion doctor vibe that they have. And I would really like to see more scenes of them like just working together on whatever the problem was. Um, you know, split split them off. Let them have their own episode. In a in a um in the most traditional sense, I feel like Yaz is the companion here. And mm-hmm. and that um Ryan and Graham are also present but like (laughs) yaz feels like like a more traditional match for the doctor in terms of the companion and so that it's interesting she isn't in this episode a lot i totally am with you last week last week there was a fascinating about 30 second period where it was who ryan's kind of into yaz oh yaz is kind of into the doctor (laughs) it was just that moment where i was like oh that's not where i thought that that was pointing interesting and uh but but she she has very little to do here she makes some comments about how there's a body cam on all the medics and it's just like when she's with the police and she's got a couple of moments but she's not um she doesn't have a lot to do and i i agree i mean it seems like next week is is her front and center because it's about her family history and the partition of india but uh this week it's a it's a light yes week and i like i like her a lot um yeah so 
she she's um she's the one that I just that I want to see people interacting with. She and um and to be fair, I really like Graham as well. Oh god, I feel so bad about this. Ryan's my least favorite. Oh. I'm sorry, Ryan. I don't dislike her. <laughs> I really, no, I like just, how I'm, I like how quirky he is. My favorite moment of him is probably in Rosa where he says, "Great job, yes. Ryan. Thanks, Ryan." <laughs> he was <laughs> He's no, just... he was amazing in Rosa. He so I I do like it when they give him when they give him humorous moments. I really love you're, it. You're just he's, not into he's... this whole I I feel bad about my dad thing that's going know, on with Ryan. I know. I just I just yeah. It's it's because that's taking up too much of the time instead of yeah. instead of getting the lighter stuff, which is where you know I feel like he's really charismatic well, and he's got really good timing. And it's like oh, give me more of that and less of moping about your absent father. This might be uh, something that makes people howl with uh with dislike but uh one of the things i like about graham is that mm-hmm. he reminds me that the the analog i feel like to him that that comes closest is maybe donna in the sense that i really like somebody traveling with a doctor who complains and is not impressed <laughs> and oh, right. uh, like I, I enjoy i enjoy that he he he's like good-natured about it but he's still uh he's still gonna bug her he's still gonna poke her and like complain about like why are we doing this and oh so, this is really great doc look what you got us into now and like i enjoy that i enjoy somebody not looking at the doctor with wide eyes and be like oh you're so dreamy you're so amazing you're the most amazing thing ever and because he's an older guy i I feel like he's like i've seen some stuff not this stuff but i've seen some stuff what are we doing here i i enjoy i enjoy that and i felt like that was the thing that was so refreshing about donna when when she followed martha and rose is that she was not looking at the doctor with those those uh you know beaming eyes of like you're so great and that was a relief after three years of of uh oh david Tennant, you're so dreamy so you're a big Tegan fan then, is what I'm getting from that. <laughs> uh, you know, I thought that was a good thing about Tegan, was that she didn't, yeah, she, no, that uh, she was, especially in a three-person, three a three-companion configuration, that <laughs> she was the one who was skeptical about everything that was going on, yes. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree, I agree. It's just, uh, I'm, I'm uh, oh, it's just, I never connected with Donna because I felt so betrayed about the way my beloved companion was treated. I'm I'm not going to try and like the next one. I don't care. Yeah. My heart is dead now. Yes, I'm until Yeah. So that's that's what happened. Anyway, there. I, but no, I, I think I think you're right. I think you're right. Script wise and, and texture wise, I think I I think I enjoy it when it can get a little samey if the doctor is just a dazzling, amazing presence. That oh god, yeah, no, I I, I right? don't like that. I mean, that's part of the reason why I'm really enjoying Whitaker's Doctor is she's got that. There's with new doctors, there's always a sort of an almost well, not Eccleston so much, but an invulnerability about them. It's like mm-hmm. I know everything. Everyone knows me. Everyone fears me. I know everything about everything in the galaxy. Whereas. Uh, Whitaker here, we've got her not remembering something and obviously her knowledge about um, Eve Cicero is incomplete and she worries so much yes. better than any other New Who doctor. You actually feel tension, you, you're concerned about her safety and that for me you know, that that's something that happens with all my fave doctors. They're not these invulnerable forces of nature I mean even Tom Baker, okay at some point he did become an invulnerable force of nature and Yes, I love that. But also at times, especially early on his tenure, it, it wasn't like that. It was very much the sort of 
um, I, I know there's a better word for it, but I've been using bumbling, but um, that, and it's so, so very Troughton, so I, that I absolutely adore right. it when she's sort of just going, oh no, this is all terrible, wait, wait, I just have to think about it, it's, it's, it'll be fine kind of thing, and I'm just like, oh, I love you, yeah. this is great. Well, I, it's not very interesting if they wal- if they waltz in, they swan in, and they say, oh well, I'm the doctor, I, I, I'm the oncoming storm, I know everything, I'm going to work this out, it's fine. And it, and it's one, another thing to be like, um, uh-oh, this is really bad. I know enough that this is bad. I'm going to have to figure this out. I'm struggling. Aha, but I am very capable and know a lot of things. And I figured it out, right? Like that. That's way more yeah. interesting dramatically to have the doctor back on her heels and trying to figure it out and apologetic. Like, I'm sorry I got you into this. Like when they they find the sonic bomb, she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. This is really bad. And like, I think, yeah, I, I actually feel like it's an appropriate moment for apologizing mm-hmm. because as far as she knows, they're all going to die in about three seconds. No. So I I think I think that's okay. That's not a thing I'm generally in favour of the doctor apologising. But on that circumstances, you know, I I can get on board for evident death. Yeah. Um. And uh, uh, one of well, yeah, what what you're saying about the sort of explaining things and that, and for it to go, I mean, it partially goes into technobabble. But the scene of her and the the antimatter engine thing, I, I really loved that. Um. Partly because you know it's nice to see her admiring a good piece of engineering and mm-hmm. being impressed at science and stuff, which I really enjoy. But I don't know quite how much of it was accurate. I know some of it, you know, it was I think, actual science. I think that was one hundred percent. I mean, it's wrapped in a. It, it, she's describing a device that doesn't exist, which is this the, the iPhone of par, of, of particle accelerators. But but I. But I, she's I, using the principles that are used yeah, in CERN. Yeah, basically, yeah. as far as as far as I'm aware, that is pretty solidly scientifically accurate to the point where I thought, well, this is interesting because this is almost like Chris Chibnall saying, hey, it's Doctor Who. I can talk about how science yeah, works. The thing is, he's done that quite a few times where mm-hmm. he's he's brought some actual real science into it and discussed it, you know, taking the time to say a, a few sentences about it and really focus on it. And um, I think that was, that was a wonderful example of that there because that is exactly the sort of thing that got me to do science for way too long. Um, and also, it can really help your understanding even even little bits like that because um, in in classic who Doctor Who episode uh, Logopolis the concept of entropy mm-hmm. is discussed quite a lot and uh, you can talk it's not it's not done in a hugely scientific way. The principles are there and this was the one um, I, I did like we call it six year studies it's like a first year university course in um, in chemistry and one of the sections was on entropy and this was the only bit of it that I found really easy because I understood the concept of what they were trying to do right away the mathematics mm-hmm. was obviously a lot of joyous fun but with the other things I was like having to work out what this what this means the sort of shape of it overall but the entropy stuff it was I, I got that and then uh, that was just because of Doctor Who oh, yeah. and uh, and this this thingy over it so so with antimatter and the creation of protons and that that's just oh i love that stuff i think it's great that's i'm I'm not a unique shiny snowflake in the world so if you know i get interested in the little science mentions and go look them up i'm assuming there's going to be plenty of kids today that are going to do exactly the same thing And and plus the doctor's a woman talking about it so uh that's you know an added encouragement to to girls watching which is really good so in my uh senior year of high school i took physics and we talked about entropy and yeah. uh, I absolutely was thinking about Legopolis too. So you know, <laughs> absolutely entropy that's, increases. That's 
That's mm-hmm. interesting. You got it in physics, and we got it in chemistry. Or it might have been entropy mm. and enthalpy. Maybe that wasn't why it was junior or senior year. I mean, in chemistry and physics. It was a long time ago now. But yeah, absolutely. I was thinking uh, anytime entropy comes up, even now, I think about yeah, how I learned that's... that entire concept from <laughs> from Legopolis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. See, Doctor Who very educational. Yeah, exactly right. And so the anti-matter thing, I'll also say for, again, it's a totally different show and they don't do this sort of thing. Although I think actually in modern Star Trek, they do this sort of thing. I could I could imagine um, one of the characters in Star Trek Discovery talking about the Manta antimatter uh, reactor warp core poetically like the doctor does here but for 500 plus episodes of star trek they had spaceships with antimatter and at no point did anybody give as eloquent a discussion of what antimatter is as the doctor in this episode which i thought was kind of funny they're just like probably antimatter engines we've got them on every starship they're not very impressive Mm. anymore actually the most impressed they were about it was in first contact when they're all like quite impressed at building the first right, one right so th- that was a bit but well, no you're right no, no one gave an eloquent speech there about how great it was the eloquent speech is about yeah we're going to discover stuff so i don't know diff- different focus doctor who a little more interested in science star trek a little more interested in look going about and looking at stuff yeah Maybe? one of my favorite things uh, about that the doctor does and it, it could come off as condescending but it doesn't i i find it a, a really endearing is when the doctor sees some bit of human technology and basically says ah oh, so clever good job people like you know again she's way <laughs> more advanced um it's a little bit like um in the christmas invasion david Tennant says mm, blood control I haven't seen this for years. Blood control. Oh, that's a good one, basically. Um, I enjoy that. When the doctor sees a little bit of technology from somewhere, it's like, oh, I like that. That's clever. I'm way ahead of this, but it doesn't matter. This is very clever. (laughs) Oh, I'd enjoy it, but I think it totally comes off as condescending (laughs) almost all of the time, which is fine. It makes sense. I don't don't mind that. The doctor is not a a perfect person. I I totally get where the condescension is coming from, whilst also having genuine admiration. It can be both things. Yeah, little monkeys, you're so clever. (laughs) Yeah, I, I actually, I think this one was veering towards not condescending. I think she also admired the kind of the elegance of it in the same way that you got Tennant admiring the uh, the clockwork android. Oh, yeah. I don't think that was condescending. I think that was like, this is a genuinely beautifully constructed piece of work. And the, and and the elegance of the universe, maybe, I think, is behind some of that, too, because she's describing the you know physics and she's describing the yes. laws of the universe. And that's, you know, the doctor may be superior in so many different ways, but we're all living in the same universe yeah. with the same set yes. of rules. And so this it's, is a clever way of doing using the universe's structure to make a an engine. Yes, yes. No, that's that definitely pings right. That's um, very good. I like that. Also, <laughs> um, the doctor says that she's seen... Um, all 900 casts of Hamilton. So, just... I, yeah, I just sighed at that. I enjoy that. <laughs> okay. That's catnip for some people. I've, I've, I know, I've I know, I know. One, but, yeah. I'm sorry. I, we're, you, you're now probably going to get hate mail because I, I, That's okay. I have very little Pe- interest people can have People can have all the interest or disinterest in Hamilton that they want, but the doctor has is a super fan and it can't be denied now. So I'm sure Erica <laughs> is sighing somewhere already. Um, oh great yay I yeah have a, oh yeah I have an ally yeah that's that's right but i, I think that's that's adorable no i, I think it's a, i think it's a very appropriate reference to make mm-hmm. i can definitely believe it um did she mention someone else in this episode i was trying to hmm. oh that's gonna bug me now 
She, I do like the, I do like the doctor with the name dropping kind well, of the thing. Well, iPhone, right? the iPhone comes up at one point, which I thought was funny. The iPhone version of CERN, and that made oh, me well, laugh. Of course. Of, of course, course I did. Do. Come on. That's, we, and we had Steve Jobs <laughs> earlier, so it just keeps going. Uh, there's all iPhone references in, throughout Doctor Who now. Um, actually, the line that I thought was really great and I wrote down is, it's funny, I'm normally the one diffusing the bomb. <laughs> As she as she speeds up the bomb so that it explodes because yeah. she's creating the the this lure. Is, this yeah. is a doctor who doesn't remember her history and just how many bombs she's exploded yeah. over the years. I'm, I'm a bit judgy at that. You've got very selective memory with weapons there, but that does seem a very I, a very chip. I think thing. she likes to think of herself as the sort of person yes. who diffuses bombs when yes. in reality there are lots of explosions <laughs> happening on her watch. Don't deny it. It's yes, happening, that, but it was a that, it was a a funny line, and uh, and then we end up getting an adorable bomb eating uh, alien. So yeah, I think what was the other? There was another one that's really good that when she was talking to um, Astos near the beginning, it was oh god, it's something she replied sometimes to it, and it was a really funny little moment, and I've forgotten what the first line of it was. Mm. So it, so now it sounds completely silly on a podcast type thing. See, oh. I didn't do my research. Oh, um, I only what. Yeah, I only watched it once too. I did write down that the the um, it turns out that threat level beetroot is um, only the second to highest threat level because Chalice is the highest level of threat, and that that felt very Russell T Davis to me, where um. it's the future enough that that everything is wrong and um, you know years have Apple in it and things like that, where it's just like how how futury is it that we're at uh, threat level beetroot? What the, what's the right word for that? Um... Uh, it's not a good word, I might add, but I'm I'm trying to think of the right word for thing. It's so um, it's not kitsch. It's um, what's a word that's like kitsch but hmm. more negative. Um, I'm not a fan of that. I didn't mind avocado because I can believe oh. that. I can believe we'd end up calling well, our kids after fruits or vegetables names, that we happen to think were heroes. Names do all sorts of funny things over time. Yeah. So I did like, I, I like how, because avocado is what we call it in America. But so in the UK, is it called an avocado pear or just an yeah, avocado? We them, no, we, oh, avocado. They're called avocados. Okay. They're the things millennials buy so we can't afford yes. houses. Uh, right. Avocados on toast. Well, anyway, after the ancient earth hero avocado pear, which apparently, at least in some places, that's what the avocado is called, is the avocado pear. All right. Even though it's not a pear. It's an avocado, um, but that did make me laugh. And the idea that it is not named after, like, oh, what? Avocado's a name now. It's, but it's after the famous hero, Avocado Pear. And they're looking at you like, that's not what? No, Mm-mm. no. Um, but to be uh, fair, they don't know that because this is the 67th century. Yeah. Maybe like in the 23rd century, Avocado, avocado pear, pear saves the world. Saves the we world. Do, they do, it could be. I, I judge their arrogance, assuming that the heroes must become from before, from they before were them. born. Mm, that's true. They haven't, they haven't caught on to the time travel ways yet. No, no. In fact, maybe they go, you know, back in the TARDIS, they look up in the databank, Avocado Pear, and they go, oh, 28th century. Hmm, all right. We were wrong. Uh, Our mistake. <laughs> maybe. And they don't go back and apologize and make that dude feel bad about calling his kid Avocado Pear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they go and they go and visit him uh, and bring a present to to him. And they his, should do his, that. His they baby. should bring him an avocado pear. No, they bring him a stuffed pating, like a toy, oh. little 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 stuffed animal of a pating. To be fair, I would want one of those. So, so if they if, if they make pating plushies, I will be a right. very happy fan girl. 
And um, so at the end of this episode, um, the android character doesn't have a lot to do. He he appears here and there. He's an android, but he to be he fair. is um, he is to to give us a little bit of an alien an alien's feel. I think as part of what why he was there. But he comes he yeah. he expresses you know his appreciation to the brother who uh, who has taken care of the general and he's come to the end of his service. And then they have this moment where they commend her her body. They they speak over her body with with and I liked this moment because. Everybody who's from this period knows this saying that is not something that we from the 20th century know. May the saints of all the stars and constellations bring you hope as they guide you out of the dark and into the light. But they all know it and they all say it together, which I find find that really charming. It's a a thing that I like about uh, Gridlock, where everybody sings the actual hymn, but they all sing it together. um, And that that, like in that culture, that's a thing that they do. Like, I kind of like the fact that the doctor knows it and the people of that time period know it. And then people from our time period just kind of go along with it. Um, But it it was a kind of a nice way to uh, to have them all the survivors are all back together there at the end and then that's the end like they they say that they'll pick them up and take them back to the 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 junk planet but um but but that's you know basically other than that one scene it all happens in this uh in this one set yeah which i i really love that sort of thing i i love bottle episodes and Mm -hmm. you basically having one set to do things i don't think like um or my favourites is when they, they didn't do it here, but they just relight the set and it's somewhere new. Mm-hmm. That They do that in such a lot of nice classic sci-fi and it's it's just delightful. And, and yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a lovely end to the episode. I think especially because said that it brings them all together for, for a final moment. And that's, that's what we needed. And whilst I mm-hmm. would love an episode next week that's just them travelling back to that planet mm-hmm. and kind of chatting in their little either transport or... Did they say they're going to teleport? That's boring. Let's pretend they get a long-haul transport back and they just sit in the cabin for five all days. the time and chat. Yeah. I'd be happy with that episode, sure. but we're not going to get that because they don't pander to my don't have a plot wishes yeah. for beloved television that'll, programs. That'll be a great uh, a big finish in 15 years. I, I think they quite like having plots in their stories as well. Yeah, I suppose I, so. It, it's deeply annoying. Well, there'll, I be, just, a, you know, there'll be a, a mishap and it'll go off course and... Then. No, that that's not what I want though. That wouldn't pander right. to me. Yeah, we, yeah, we that's true. That. That's true. You literally just want the uh, yes. the conversation. Yes. All right. Well, I just, I just want maybe in fifteen in years, um, <laughs> conversational dialogue without plot will become more of a popular genre. Oh, Doctor that'd Who. be great. That would be brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I um. Oh, the art direction on this. I was going to mention the that I really like the look of the girl who waited, where they're in the weird white rooms here and there and uh, that was uh you know I, I i'm a sucker for this stuff i like i like the spaceship you know gleaming white spaceship i mean dirty spaceships are fun too but i think it's fun to embrace the this is the future and we're in a gleaming white medical spaceship that then yeah, especially if it's a hospital you know I, right? I would it would say a completely different thing about that hospital ship if it was not gleaming white yeah that's true that's true, but it's nice, and they have a little coil for the antimatter, and I like the look of that. And I just, mm-hmm. I, I think one of the things about um, this season I felt is that it looks great, and I thought I'm reminded of when the Moffat era started and they went to HD, and um, it looked so much more cinematic than the previous era had in standard definition and even though they're still just you know it's hd that part hasn't changed this whole season has felt 
just uh, the way it's shot, um, the way it looks, it, it feels different and it feels very good. It looks good. Um, and yeah. I like that. I enjoy watching Doctor Who and being impressed at how it looks. <laughs> yeah, it really felt like there's, there's a couple of times in Doctor Who's history where it's just one season end, the next season start, and suddenly you feel like you've jumped forward five or six years right. instead of just one year. Like um, when it went into colour. It wasn't just that it was going into colour. It was the sorts of stories that were being co- told and the way the characters were written. It really felt so much more more modern than just a year ago. And I, I felt that the same thing happened here between the end of the Capaldi season, which I love and adore, and the start of this. It was just like, whoa, we, we've, we've suddenly jumped into modern times now. Right. And... Um, yeah, it's it's really cool to do that. It makes it feel really fresh. And yeah, I think the direction and look of everyone so far has been has been really nice. And I especially think the music has been absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. I loved it in this episode. That's that that spaceship theme that kept coming on. It was so nice. I'm I think this might be my favorite music out of all of Doctor Who mm-hmm. what we're getting just now. I, I think I I want I really hope to release that, the, the soundtrack for it. Oh, and I've never sure. said that before. Uh-huh. I'm sure they will. Who. I'm sure they will. Um, and that's why I enjoy the Leisure Hive. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I, I make the joke, but but that's actually the, the reason no, no. I enjoy the Leisure Hive is because after um, 1970s Doctor Who, that yeah. that season is like yes. a completely different show. Season 18 is definitely one of the seasons. And that's even got the same Doctor in it. Yes, and the same and, companion. But it but changed, then because of the, changed producer. the producer. And and, and, then, and it, it feels very different. But it, it doesn't feel as different from the Peter Davison era as it does from the previous Tom Baker era. And I just, I love it when, um, that's actually the thing that I've missed in Modern Who, is I, I also like the idea where a new, a new showrunner takes over but has the old Doctor because it's like a new eyes on this old yeah. character. And that's why I really wanted Stephen Moffat to have a year with David tenant and i really wanted chris chibnall to have a year with uh with uh peter capaldi just because um i think it's fascinating the idea of having a completely different take on the same doctor but yeah. i understand why that doesn't happen but we, d- we didn't really get that very much in classic who either because there's, there's a lot of turnover in producers right. in the first it's two a natural years. Ver- time too to when you change the, the lead yeah. actor to just change out and, and but it is, it's very clear in tom baker's years where you've got just that where you have three different eras you have mm-hmm. three different styles of tom baker's doctor who and i love them all for different reasons but yeah, that is that is actually one of the great things about his era that you can look at it like that, and it is fascinating the types of the types of story, the tone, the characters, the companion characters, even that they were uh, wanting to have in it. That's yeah. really yeah. All right, yeah. well, we are in a new era now for sure. Um, but I, I, uh, yeah, I enjoyed this episode. I was quite relieved that it was not <laughs> sleep no more. <laughs> Sorry to all yes. you fans of sleep no more out there. All three of. You. There are three. I, really? Mm, I might have counted somebody twice. I was <laughs> actually. I was. I, I had a very early um, thing that I did uh, the other day, and after it was over, I realized I need. I hadn't wi- wiped the sleep from my eyes, and I said, "Oh, sleep in my eyes." That's. Oh no, it was. I had an early morning flight, and I'm walking through the airport to my gate. And I'm wiping the sleep out of my eyes, and I thought, "Oh, sleep in your eyes. That would be a great Doctor Who monster." <laughs> Not. <laughs> mm. Dear. Sleep no oh, more. that poor episode. Oh, boy. Anyway, so uh, anything we haven't talked about about the Saranga conundrum that you would like to mention before we go? Yes, the spaceships in space looked amazing. Yeah, we didn't see a lot of them, but they looked good when we saw them. Yeah, I've been very impressed with spaceships this year as well. I do like a good spaceship, and mm-hmm. these are good spaceships. Yeah, we saw them 
uh, from some different angles, and uh, they did look good. There, there are not a lot of them. We didn't get a lot of of uh, outside shots of the spaceship, which I think for understandable reasons. But we, you know, we did see them, and they look good. And then I uh, like I love that junkyard again. I love that junkyard. Looks great. Love a love a space junkyard. It's the best. All right, Liz, thank you so much. I'm glad I got to talk to you since um, listeners of Verity won't get to hear you this week. Uh, I'm glad you're officially on the record about this episode. Thank you for having me on the podcast. And thanks to everybody out there for listening. I'll be back next week with another guest. I don't even know who. Who knows? We'll find out next week. But until then, thanks for listening. Goodbye, everybody. Only in the